Welcome to the Mission Show with Albert Canfield and Luis Cardozo. On this episode, we will talk with Ben Jack, an evangelist of the Message Trust here in Manchester, the head of Advance Globally, and DJ and music producer. If you have any questions or doubts, please feel free to go to our website, www.cntmission.com. Mr. Ben Jack, it's really good to have you on the Mission Show to talk about evangelism, about your books, or your materials. And guys, I have this joy to welcome Ben because he's also my boss here at the Message Trust. We work <laughs> together and it's just great, really great. So, uh, Beto and myself, we are here to, to give you the warm welcome and to say it's a real joy to have you here. We'd like to ask you first uh, if you could share with us a little bit about you. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's such a joy to be talking to two people that I like and to, to be talking about something that I like even more than I like you two, which is uh, evangelism and, and the good Amen. news and, and how we can get Jesus uh, to the truth about Jesus into the world. Um, so, yeah, my name is Ben Jack. I, I work for an organization in, in the UK called The Message Trust, uh, where I oversee a project called Advance. And it's all about mentoring um, men and women around the world for evangelism and also at the same time as helping the everyday ordinary believer to grow in their ability to tell the world about Jesus to also stir the gift and the calling of the evangelist in the local church so we kind of get these two outcomes on the one hand the church at large will just see more and more and more of its people going and telling the world about Jesus but also we'll see more and more people suddenly realizing actually I think God is calling me and equipping me to be an evangelist and to serve the church by equipping the church and stirring the church, encouraging the church to keep the gospel the main yeah. thing and to keep going for his glory. Um, so I've been at The Message for six years now, and um, I've been an evangelist for the best part of 20 years. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you can't see me on this podcast, but if you could see me, you'd look at me and you'd think you are far too young. <laughs> to have been doing evangelism for 20 years. Um, but uh, but no, yeah, I've been in the game for a long time in some way, shape or form. I, I come from a Christian home. My parents were missionaries uh, into uh, into Europe, actually in France and, uh, and around the UK. And they um, moved back to the, the UK after my sister was born. And then I, I came along a few years later. So by this time, my mom had, had kind of gone back into her uh, primary training, which was nursing and uh, she was a midwife and then and then went into regular nursing uh, after that. And my dad went into being um, a pastor for a while and then became the principal of a Bible college in a city called Cambridge in, in England. And um, we I grew up there and had, you know, the best part of 14 happy years, first four years in London and then 14 happy years growing up in Cambridge. And and seeing my parents live out their faith, uh, going to a, a great church that I grew up in, uh, particularly as a teenager, I got connected to a great youth group. And, you know, I made an initial decision to follow Jesus when I was about 10 years old. But truth be told, it wasn't until I was 17 that that it really began to take hold for me. And it's not that I kind of radically ran away from God between 10 and 17. It's just that mm -hmm. there were times in my life when God was very much important. And maybe I was in my summer holidays, I had a chance to go on a mission trip and I'd be like, oh, great. Yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> it'll be fun and I'll meet new people. Uh, and I love God. So it's all good. But then there'd also be other times when I'd be at home and I'd be more interested in hanging out with my friends and maybe even going and drinking and, and hanging out and, and getting into the party scene a little bit because that was fun and I wanted to engage mm -hmm. and have kind of a normal life in, in many ways. <laughs> and so by the time I hit 17, you know, I think I just was starting to mature and, and grow up. I mean, I haven't fully matured or grown up properly yet, which is probably <laughs> why I spend too much time playing PlayStation. But uh, I started to grow up a little bit and mature. And I think at that time in my life, it came into focus that I actually need to decide how true I think this is and how important to my life it is. And there are times in my life when I'm on, you know, in inverted commas mission, I'm, I'm doing little mission trips or I'm doing stuff with my youth group on the streets. And, and yet there's other times in my life where my life doesn't really look anything like what I talk about when I'm doing those moments of mission. I think I need to bring those two things into focus. And a girl at my um, college, when I was 17, a girl at my college came to me, she said, I've been asked to run a, a Christian union for the, for the kids in the school that's attached to the college, the, the kind of uh, 11 to 13 year olds, do you want to help me out? And I was like, I mean, I guess so. <laughs> I got nothing else to do on a Wednesday lunchtime and there's free donuts there, so why not? <laughs> yeah, so, win, right, win, free win, donuts, win. Will get, that will win you around every time. So I think that process as well of helping these young 
kids or teenagers at this Christian union on Wednesday lunchtime. Again, it forced me to start thinking about, actually, do I believe this to be true? And how important is this to me? And, mm-hmm. and through a period of time, I suddenly realized, no, I, I, I do believe this and I want to start taking this more seriously. And, and sure enough, I was all ready to go to university. Um, and because this kind of new focus had come into my life, I changed my plans and I ended up going and, and working for Youth for Christ instead and <laughs> spending uh, a year with Youth for Christ and learning the tricks of the trade of, of kind of itinerant evangelism and, and stuff. And at the same time, I'd started to learn how to DJ. And so combining DJing and music <laughs> and evangelism and working with young people, it all kind of came together around the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I never looked back since, basically. Awesome. That is so I mean, good. And that's something I would like to ask, because you are also a, a music producer and also a DJ mm-hmm. and won um, awards and, and all that, and that's really good. But what are the opportunities in a DJ world to spread the gospel and, and to communicate Jesus through whatever you do? How, how is that for you? Oh, yeah, loads. I mean, in the, in the actual club scene, I mean, pe- from the outside, you would look at the nightclub scene um, and you would think it's just a place of debauchery and, and drugs and, and, you know, one night stands and hedonism and free living. And, it, you know, on the outside, it just, it just looks like a crazy place. And the truth of it is, it, it is all those things. <laughs> But the reason why it's all those things is because it's full of people that are searching. It's mm-hmm. full of people that are looking for an escape on a Friday night. Life is hard. Can't wait for Friday night when I can go and just enjoy myself and escape and let my hair down and have fun and drink the night away and just, you know, forget about difficulty of life for a bit. And, and also, as well as it being in a place of escape, it's also a very spiritual place. The club scene historically has been a place of really deep spirituality, misplaced mm-hmm. spirituality, but spirituality all the same. So mm-hmm. I worked in the nightclub scene for six or seven years and, um, had all sorts of interesting conversations with other DJs and club promoters, bar owners, bar staff. You know, a lot of the time you weren't really engaging with the the patrons, the people that were coming on the nights out mm-hmm. because they would come in and out while you were DJing, but you'd build long-term relationships with the, the, the other DJs and the bar managers. And still to this day, I've got many friends who are working in the industry at very high levels, very successful, very famous. You, you would know who some of these people, I won't name them, but you would know who some of these people are if I told you who they were. And they are, um, they love Jesus and they are having an impact in the industry. Their music doesn't shout about Jesus. Their DJ performances don't shout about Jesus, but their lives in the industry do. Mm. And their lives look different. And I used to get asked all the time, you know, what is different about you? Why is it that when you come to our nightclub, awesome. the bar tab is so much lower Than when the other DJs come to our nightclub. Why do you not come and do drugs with us at the end of the night, you know, uh, and things like that? And and but why but why are you why do you ask us questions about our lives? Why are you so concerned about us and things? I remember one night as DJing, a big dance floor full of people, and uh, about one o'clock in the morning, uh, the the bar owner walks up to the DJ booth as he often did, see if I was okay, see if I needed anything. He comes and stands next to me. The crowd are dancing. I'm in the middle of mixing and, uh, and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, all good, all good. And then he turned to me and he said, so um, what's all this God stuff about then? And I'm like, wow, this is not really the best time right now. I'm in, I'm in the middle of DJing. And so I'm like desperately trying to complete my DJing so that I can have this conversation with him about Jesus. And it was things like that that used to happen all the time and opportunities for pray to pray for people and bless people. So it was a real ride. But after about seven years, I felt the Lord was calling me to step out of the club scene specifically and start using the music more specifically to create opportunities for witness from the platform mm-hmm. where we put concerts on. Because you can't in a nightclub start preaching about Jesus, you're never going to get invited back and then you miss your opportunity to witness to the the people that are in that scene. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to put concerts on where we could use that kind of dance music and and then offer an invitation to life. And so we we turned the shows into more evangelistic things. And that's what it's looked like for kind of the last 10, 10 years or so. Awesome. Awesome. And guys, if you are listening to this podcast, Ben wrote a book called Simple Gospel. And I had the opportunity to translate it to Portuguese and we are launching Brazil on 28th of this month. But go to Amazon and buy Simple Gospel from Ben Jack. It's so good. So Ben, I I really loved your book and I would like to just to go through it a little bit. So what is the gospel? How can we define for someone that is listening to us now? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is something that is both infinitely and profoundly complex and also at the same time simple enough that you can explain it to a child 
And as a Christian, what I want to be doing is I want to spend my whole life digging deeply into the inexhaustible riches of the truth of who God is and what he has done in light of our rebellion against him and to discover his grace, his love, his life, his peace, and to discover afresh day by day that mercy for myself, but also to discover afresh new ways of communicating that same truth that whoever I would come into contact with, uh, whatever age, whatever demographic category they might fit, um, whatever cultural background they might come from, I might be able to explain the gospel successfully to them without changing its essential truth, but to repackage it in a way that helps them to understand that truth. And so you ask me, what is the gospel? The truth is we could fill a thousand podcasts with a, with <laughs> yes. a conversation of what is the gospel. And there are many different ways that I could come at it. But I guess in its most simple form, the gospel is the good news of what God has done in and through his son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile a rebellious world back to his love that we might know his life today and forevermore by the power of his son's sacrifice and in the power of his holy spirit's work in our life for his eternal glory now i know that doesn't sound like um (laughs) an easy way of explaining it to somebody who's never heard it before but but that in and of itself kind of contains the necessary elements of what it is I don't really want to be able to explain it to somebody in just a sentence. I want to be able to journey someone through it and actually pull out then what those truths mean more fully. I I think if we reduce it down to just a really simple sentence, it will be deficient. It will have things that are missing. It will be maybe slightly misleading because it'll make somebody think that it's veering left or it's veering right or it's or A and B equals C, or one and two equals <laughs> three. And, 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 and it's like, well, whatever math we're doing, however we're construing the alphabet of the gospel together, it will leave people with an impression. And we can't give everybody the whole gospel in every conversation, but we can build the picture of the full gospel in word and deed as we proclaim it and live it day by day with those that we're around. So the definition I just gave you, I think, is a good starting point, even though it's a little bit technical in its language. And from there, what we want to do is then really help people to understand what that means and what the implications are. Ultimately, what is the gospel? It's good news. You ran away from God. He's done what needs to be done to bring you back to him so that you can know his love and know his life instead of knowing death. Awesome. Yeah. Why we need today a simple gospel? We know that the world is so complex and we, we have a lot of things that sometimes the people think about the church and say it's all complicated. Mm. <laughs> and uh, your proposal in your book is a simple gospel. Could yeah. you tell us why we need today this clarification of a simple gospel? Yeah, because... Um... I think there's too many people in the church that don't actually know the gospel. They they <laughs> they heard a gospel presentation and um, they kind of have begun the journey of following Jesus, but they they've never added to that mm-hmm. faith. So just like I was talking about there, that you can never give the full picture of the gospel in one conversation. Um, people hear, you know, whatever mechanism of gospel is there. Is there like a popular method of gospel explanation in Brazil <laughs> or Portugal that gets used a lot? Yes. yes, yes, that's the four laws in Brazil. Is the four laws, okay, the four right. Laws yeah, so in the, Portugal is yeah, yeah. The very common between laws. evangelicals. Yeah, so Bill Bill Bright's like four spiritual laws, world famous, and, and has been a, a real gift to the church in so many ways and has been adapted into different versions in the UK. We have the four points, which is kind mm-hmm. of a slightly youth orientated version of the same idea and and of course the four spiritual laws is taking is also riffing on another system known as the romans road journeying those first four chapters of the book of romans which is the most comprehensive uh, the whole book of romans the most comprehensive um single outlining of the gospel that that is in the new testament if you're just going to take one section you know that's why romans is so complicated and hard to understand because (laughs) paul's really going in and this doesn't seem like it's simple. It doesn't seem like the gospel is simple when you read Paul. But, of course, the whole point is that the more we read with that, the more we engage with it, the more we can actually see as great as a Romans road or a four spiritual laws is, they, they're not telling the whole story. They're a good starting point. But more is needed if we're going to enter into a fully orbed relationship with God that truly recognizes who he is and what he's done. And so the case that I'm making in the simple gospel is, we people need to be able to understand it simply so they can start the journey. 
But the only way you'll ever understand it simply is to know it deeply. So we who already have the gospel need to resolve to know it as deeply as we can so that we can explain it with simplicity to mm. anybody who we come into contact with that as they receive our simple gospel proclamation, they could then begin the journey of a lifetime, which is to know the gospel deeply, not just in our heads, but with the totality <laughs> of our lives. Mm -hmm. Amen. That, yeah, that, that is good. Ben, let me ask you something, because there is a lot of people listening that may have a confusion about what, it's, what is evangelism. So right. just, just in few words, how would you define evangelism? Um, I mean, uh, there's, um, again, many ways you could dis define it. I guess a simple definition would be something along the lines of the Holy Spirit empowered <laughs> proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, that those who hear might come to know the forgiveness of God and worship him today and forevermore. Um, something along those lines, because I in, in, in any definition of evangelism, I would want to make sure that we include the Trinity because the gospel is a, a Trinitarian reality mm. and our lives are to be lived in a Trinitarian reality. We're made in the image of a Trinitarian God and our response is to a Trinitarian God. So um, I, I want, the, you know, I, my evangelism can only happen if the Holy Spirit's involved. The, the center of its um, conversation, the center of the gospel is Jesus Christ himself, but all of the glory belongs to the Father and it's him to whom we ultimately want to draw people uh, so that they may do what they were created for, which is to mm. worship God. And the reason why I would use a word like proclamation, perhaps, instead of something like preach, is because preaching is a verbal activity only. And I believe that evangelism should be word and deed. And for me, proclamation is uh is something that we do with our lips and our lives jesus is proclaimed from our lips as we proclaim his truth but it's also proclaimed from our lives as he takes up residence by his spirit in us and transforms us from the inside out when i was a young guy in my church and sometimes evangelism is what happened at only in a few occasions in a saturday evening mm -hmm. when we joined together to drop some flyers here give some flyers there And yeah. uh, we once a year do an evangelism. So the <laughs> question is very important. Is evangelism an event or a way of life, Ben, in your, in your opinion? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I wish that more people would ask that question and reflect on it. Um, but the answer is that it's both of those things. It, it is both uh, a way of life and an event. I want to live my life evangelistically. That is that I want my life to give witness Mm -hmm. to who Jesus is and what he has done. And that's what the Bible tells me I've been empowered for in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I think sometimes in church, we, we kind of stop there. We're like, great. We receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Power to do what? To have great worship services that are, you know, full of life and 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 feel great and they're exciting and dynamic and or or full of Holy Spirit power to and I guess unless you're a cessationist, full of Holy Spirit power to to receive spiritual gifts to speak in tongues and and pro prophecy and and again, great, wonderful. But but Jesus goes on to say, "You receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you." And you will be my witnesses mm -hmm. into Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then, of course, we see it actually play out in the very next chapter in Acts chapter two. They receive power, the disciples in the upper room. They head out into the streets, preach the gospel, <laughs> and then they head into community with each other to form the church and also to main, remain in community with the world so that the world can know the blessing of the church being alongside it in word and deed so for me it has to be the totality of your life that that it's it's your witness it's everything that flows out of you as god is empowering you but of course there will also be events along the way <laughs> so i'm just trying to live evangelistically but i'm also from time to time going to put on an event or a mission week and and so there can be evangelistic events but evangelism shouldn't live or die on evangelistic events it should mm. live or die on the church living the gospel amen great that is awesome Wow, that's a good thing. Many people misunderstand that. And it's so mm. good that you tackle right the root of the problem. And Ben, you are an international head of Advance. Uh, I work with you on Advance. And, and wow, it's so good to see the growth. More than 36 countries now, many translations, many people involved in this movement of evangelism. And I just would like to ask if you could summarize for us the history of Advance and how it came about and, and what is happening right now throughout the world. 
yeah, I mean, the short version is six years ago, Andy Hawthorne, the founder and CEO of the Message Trust, that uh, where Luis and I are both based, decided that as he gets older, he's into a 60 now and was in his mid-50s at the time and rampant evangelist just wanting to proclaim the good news but but aware that as he gets older one of the best things that he could do with his time was to invest in in younger preaching evangelists not necessarily even younger in age just perhaps younger in experience mm-hmm. and so he gathered 12 uh, of those types around himself I, I was one and a number of others not just platform preachers but but guys who uh share in prison guys who who go into high schools and share there uh there was a vicar in that original um lineup who's who's sharing out of his uh, ministry as a a local church vicar week in week out and so a whole range of different types but all with the same calling to proclaim the good news and all all with opportunities to do that and he began to mentor us on, on five principles principle number one regular meeting that we would get together um, once a month, and that would be a priority. That we would prioritize fellowship. You know, even if a it once a date had gone into the diary, even if a speaking engagement came up, we wouldn't take that engagement and cancel our advance group. We would stick to our advance group as a way of saying yes, opportunity is important. But but you know what else is important? Preparing yourself for those opportunities. And if you're going out there with an empty tank. Uh, you're not going to have the fuel you need to, to, to seize that opportunity well. And actually, you could do more harm than good. If you're heading out into the world just without preparing yourself, just as a, a reckless, loose cannon, and sadly, there are many evangelists who are just mavericks. They're just out there, not connected to a local church. They're just out there doing their thing. And, and I don't see any evidence that that's a good, healthy thing in the Bible at all. I think that we need to be rooted in community. And um, so we, we meet together regularly. And, and also then we sharpen each other. This number two. What is the gospel? Do we know it well enough? You know, we don't want to take anything away from the gospel. We don't want to add anything to it. We want to let the gospel be the gospel. And as we recontextualize it for whatever environment we're in, keep the truth, the truth, keep the main thing, the main thing. So a lot of sharpening and wrestling over the word of God uh, and things like that. And then um, number three, accountability. We want to be a holy people with a holy message. We certainly don't want to take away the accountability that might be present in our local church setting. But it's nice to have another layer on top of that of accountability with like-minded people who can ask some very targeted questions of each other and help each other to remain holy and to be transparent and available to one another to uh, share our weaknesses and and help each other grow in God's strength. The fourth part then is uh, communication. Uh, between each meeting, we would get on WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or whatever system we decided mm-hmm. to use and, and encourage each other with prayer requests, with um uh, stories of fruitfulness with challenges, whatever it might be that, that the fellowship would continue between actual meetups. And man, let me tell you that, that, that stream that I have on my phone of six years worth of WhatsApp messages is just incredible from, from answers to prayer, to people being vulnerable about the insecurities and challenges they face. Cause let me tell you, just cause somebody's an evangelist doesn't mean they don't feel insecure about sharing the gospel at times with people. It can be hard and it can be lonely as well. It'd be a lonely road. So, um, having that fellowship is important. And then five multiplication that we would commit to after being in the group for around about a year, maybe 18 months, would we continue in that group, but also start one of our own and start the journey again with, with a group of our own. And, and so we've seen the movement, as Luis was saying, grow from that first group in Manchester to now 500 groups in, in 36 nations, 12 translations of the uh, group material. I think we're up to now. I forget how many we've got. It, it always seems <laughs> to be changing. So um, yeah, so, so, so exciting. And, and the best part about it is not, that it's just a movement that's growing. It's like, oh, who cares? Like, it's 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 that it's a movement that's growing that is encouraging, equipping, and empowering men and women to take the gospel seriously to a world that so desperately needs it. Is advanced groups only for evangelists or also for every Christian, Ben? Why why do you say for us in this? Yeah. Thanks for asking. The, originally, yeah, it was set up for people that seem to be in the ministry of being an evangelist, but Uh, within about the first 18 months of doing it, we realized that there were a lot of people that appreciated the method that we'd come mm-hmm. up with. And some of the materials that we were starting to put out, people were getting it and and using it um, who weren't identifying as evangelists. They just wanted to get better at evangelism. And so mm-hmm. over time, we decided, actually, we need to make this available to anybody. And so what I would say now is that Advance is for the whole church. It's for every believer. If you want to take the gospel seriously and become more effective as an ambassador of the truth, 
then join an advanced group and it will help you to understand the gospel more deeply to grow in confidence of how you can share that with any and all around you but at the same time it will also help a few people in the church begin to discover that maybe they are called to actually be full-time evangelists mm-hmm. and become a blessing to the church by fulfilling God's calling on their life in that office. And if you're already an evangelist, then, of course, 100% advance will mm-hmm. definitely help you. Amazing. And what's your plans for the future, Ben, in advanced groups? Well, our hope is to continue to bless as many people with the materials as we can. We currently have materials that take you through one year of mentoring. And in the new year, we'll be launching our new material, which will take you through three years of mentoring, which will mean that you can join an advanced group and journey for a minimum of three years, which is great. And actually, <laughs> once you've journeyed for three years, you could start again. The material from year one will be in, uh, a distant memory by that point. So you could start again. You could use other materials or something. And we, we just would say to people, just keep journeying. It's not a course. It's not supposed to be completed. Someone was asking me just the other day if they could, mm-hmm. um, if we could send out some, some um, certificates <laughs> that they could use. So that when they finish, they can then give official advice. I, I am approved. Yeah. yeah, exactly. An evangelist like, by. Advanced. We've done the advanced course. We're accredited. I have now. this stamp from the message here. Oh, exactly. I can have a name tag. Right. And I was like, 100% absolutely not. Because, um, because the only accreditation you need for evangelism is the accreditation of the Holy Spirit. And the, uh, the, the only thing that advance is going to do for you is not lead you through a course, it's going to lead you through fellowship. It's going to lead you through Holy Spirit-empowered, God-focused, Jesus-centered fellowship Amen. that hones in on the gospel. And so it's a framework. Advance is a framework for mentoring, not a course to be completed. And we want to offer that framework to as many countries as we can. Our hope, it's a big goal. Our hope is that we could be encouraging evangelistic mentoring through advance in every nation on earth by, by 2030. It's a 10-year goal. And uh, hey, we'll we'll have a good go in as many countries as we can bless with that. We we will. Amen. Amazing. So I know there is a new book coming, Ben, and that's so good. So could you tell us a little bit more about the Doubting Thomas and the other resources that are coming as part of the Advance movement? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking, Luis. One of the things that we want to do is make sure that we are offering a really comprehensive suite of resources. So there's. There's three print resources that we're committed to. The first is the group mentoring guide. That's free. Anybody can get that. Go to advancedgroups.org, download it for free. Hopefully, it's already in your language. If it isn't uh, and you speak another language, um, then then let us know and we'll do our best to get a translation done. Um, but like I say, absolutely free. Go download that now. Um, but then we also have a, another um series called the advanced proclaimers series and we've just launched this i've written the first one called my lord and my god and as you alluded to Luis, it's about uh, the thomas the apostle thomas and this idea that he gets this nickname of doubting thomas out of the story mm-hmm. of at the end of uh, john uh, chapter 20 where uh, he doesn't believe the other disciples when they tell him that jesus is risen and actually what is it that we learn from where thomas is at in his life during that um story we learn that he's he's um, doubting. We learn that he's in a place of brokenness and we learn that he's in a place of isolation. Actually, that's the world today. The world today is doubting. It's in a place of brokenness. It's, it's isolated itself by, they think, we think we're connected more than ever through social media. I'd suggest to you that social media has disconnected us and we're very isolated. Loneliness is through the roof. Depression is through the roof. Um, anxiety is through the roof. Uh, and we're in a strange time. Thomas was in that place. What was the hope for Thomas? Mm. It was meeting the resurrected Jesus. Thomas Amen. didn't just need the hope of the resurrection. <laughs> he needed the reality of it. And that's why we need to take the reality of the resurrection into the world. And then the second half of the book looks at actually some other stories from Thomas's life that we that we get that we don't talk about because we only talk about the doubting part that actually Thomas was a worshiper. He professed, my Lord and my God, the first person in the New Testament narrative to, to directly call and worship Jesus as God. It's remarkable that he was a questioner. He was happy to ask Jesus question and build his life upon Jesus' truth. And that he was an adventurer. He was the disciple that was saying to the others, let's go with Jesus to Jerusalem, even if it <laughs> takes us to our deaths. And, and actually, 
that's who we're to be in response to Jesus. We're to be worshippers who, who who can ask questions, but ultimately build upon his truth and adventurers that we go on an adventure so that the world can know they don't need to live in brokenness, doubt and isolation. They can be set free by the reality of the resurrection. So this is going to be a whole series. There's another one coming out uh, next year um, called Son of the Living God by by dr desmond henry from the global network of evangelists looking at the life of peter and that's gonna be really great those books are you know available on all your good book stockists like uh, all your good christian bookstores and and amazon and all places like that so do go grab that and uh, that will help you you know if the group guide helps you in a group the proclaimers series is for you to read you know i guess before you go into bed or something you can read a chapter of that and it'll it'll bless you and then we've got a new series coming out in the new year called advanced essentials and they're very very short books that give practical help on how to do evangelism well and the first one is going to be all about how to ask people simple questions that will open up great dialogue for the gospel so ben in your view what is the difference between mission evangelism and discipleship because we know that a lot of people look to all these things and mess it up all together. So could you help us in this misunderstanding confusion that sometimes it's out there in a lot of churches? Yeah, I mean, the mission of God is to reconcile the world back to himself. It's the saving reality that uh, even though we've rebelled against him and are on a, a one-way ticket destination to death by our rejection of God's life and love, his uh, missional work is to send his son on the greatest rec rescue mission the world mm -hmm. has ever known. And his son has achieved what he needed to achieve through his, his life, ministry, death and resurrection and uh, has ascended and will one day return to, to bring everything to a climax when the kingdom of God will be perfectly restored as it should always have been. And, and those that know Jesus will, will inherit that kingdom forevermore. But until such a time as that happens, people can choose for themselves where they want to live. They can live in the reality of the kingdom or they can live outside. Those that live outside will not know life. They will only know death. Mm -hmm. Every human being that has breath in their lungs exists, but only those who know Jesus Christ live. We were not created for existence. We were created for life That's good. and life in all of its fullness. Um, so, so the mission of God is to um, give humanity the life that they rejected but it's actually not even for our benefit ultimately mm -hmm. it's it's for his own glory it is that by reconciling the world back to himself god will be glorified and let me tell you Amen. there is nothing better than god being glorified that's the best thing that's the ultimate the fact that god being glorified by us turning away from our rebellion back to him by what jesus has done for us by trusting that jesus christ is lord by believing that god has raised him from the dead by by knowing that we can be saved by that way that would be amazing the fact that we know that that also ultimately brings glory to god which is the ultimate best thing in all of existence <laughs> is just wonderful and mind-blowing and incredible and so the mission of god is this idea that god is reconciling and winning the world back to himself evangelism and discipleship sit within that and they're two sides of the same coin evangelism is the proclamation in word and deed of the gospel and discipleship is the ongoing process of growing in relationship with god or to use the theological language the 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 um the partnership in fellowship with the holy spirit and fellowship with other believers of sanctification that we would grow to become more like God. Because ultimately, the gospel is a story of identity. People want to know who they are. It's the, the biggest plague that the world has is not COVID. The biggest plague that the world has is an is a identity crisis. Uh, and when you don't know who you are, you, you're going to come unstuck. And if you don't know where you came from, you'll never know where you're going. And the gospel tells us exactly where we came from. We're not a cosmological accident. We are here by design, by a loving creator God who put us here for a reason and for a purpose. We rejected that reason and that purpose, but he's won us back. If we will choose to repent, to stop running away, to turn back to him, we can know the life that we were always created for. We can know our true identity. What is our true identity? That those who put their trust in Jesus are given the right to be called children of God and children Amen. of a heavenly father have an inheritance and our inheritance is the blessings of the kingdom. What's the primary blessing of the kingdom? It's not actually eternal life. Some people think that the blessing of the kingdom is that I get to live forever. No, that's not the best part. The blessing of the kingdom is that we get to be with Jesus. That's the blessing. 
that's the greatest blessing of all and it is remarkable and guess what that was the that's the that's the greatest curse of not being in the kingdom is that you're not with jesus and we were created to be with god to be with jesus Mm -hmm. and so mission is what god has done and effected for us to come into relationship evangelism is the proclamation in word and deed of that discipleship is the ongoing process of growing in the life that god has made possible for us awesome awesome well the next couple of questions you know when we decided to do this podcast we said we're going to ask two questions to every single person that will come to talk to us so the next one is what would be your recommendation ben for someone that is about to board a plane to go to a mission field tomorrow if you have like five minutes with this person what would be your recommendation my first recommendation would be don't forget your passport very important <laughs> it's happened to me before and, and it can cause you a lot of problems so don't forget your passport whatever you do make sure you arrive at your gate in plenty of time for departure and make sure you get an exit row seat so you've got a bit of leg room that yeah, that's yeah. my three <laughs> bits of advice um, but if we want to get spiritual about it um the best advice that i could give is i would be saying to the missionary um pray pray like your life depends on it pray 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 and seek the lord and ask the lord to empower you for what he's called you to ask the lord to give you wisdom for every situation you encounter here's the incredible thing heaven is the exclusive domain of perfect wisdom And the wisdom of heaven is an inexhaustible treasure. And God opens the door to the inexhaustible treasure of wisdom. And he says, come in and feast. You have access to the entire wisdom of heaven. Imagine being able to go into like the British Library in London that has like more books than I think pretty much any library in the world. And and you could go into that library and you could, um, you, you know, you didn't even need to read all the books. You could just go in. And by spending a bit of time in there praying on your knees uh, for a few hours, um, you could soak up the combined wisdom of all of those books and then head out into the world, right? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? You ever see that movie Short Short Circuit about the robot? Um, I don't know if you saw that movie, but there's a movie from the 80s called Short Circuit and he's a robot that comes to life. And he can read a book just by like flicking it with his finger and all the pages go and he takes it all in. And man... When, sometimes when I've been studying, I've been thinking, all right, Lord, please make me like short circuit. Let <laughs> all, me just... All, like Matrix style, just... Uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> please download for me all the book right now. <laughs> well, that's a great, that's an even better metaphor than the one that I was giving about the British Library. It's like God can jack into us this, <laughs> this cable into our soul that, that will download the wisdom of heaven. But the thing about, unlike in the Matrix, they kind of download it and then it's stored in them forever, <laughs> that, that, that it's different for us as Christians. It, when, when we plug into God, it's not stored in us forever. Why? Because if it was, we'd become self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And that's no good because mm-hmm. we then start mm-hmm. trusting in our own strength. And God's saying, no, 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 continuously come back <laughs> to the well. Continuously come back because I'm the only one that's sufficient. And when you find sufficiency in me, then you will realize that you have all that you need in in me it will never come from you it's in me and so i'd be saying pray ask god for wisdom ask him to you know give that to you daily and the other thing i'd be saying is when you land on the ground make sure you commit to fellowship in two ways commit to fellowship with a group of believers who um, can just cheer you on and encourage you and pray with you and support you and love you and give you a perspective check, give you a slap when you need a bit of a slap because you're being a, a bit of a, a you know a wally at, at some point or something, whatever. Just good, loving Christian community, and then also make sure you just commit to fellowship with those that don't yet know Jesus and just love on them and be available to them. Whatever the context is, whatever the ministry calling is, fellowship with believers, fellowship with those that don't yet know, out of a posture and a position of prayer on your knees that says, God, I'm available. I've been available to hear your call, which is why I'm on this plane in the first place. But daily I'm available for you to download into me. I want to confess when I've got it wrong. I want to thank you for all the things that you've done and you're doing in my life. I want to seek you for the things that I I need. I want to worship you. Pray, 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 pray. And don't forget your passport. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Amen. And the mask now. Nowadays you need to use and a mask, a mask. And your mask as well, yeah. <laughs> our second uh, question that we love to ask our guests is, there are any question uh, that you would like to address and we didn't ask 
this is like an, an open mic for you, my friend. <laughs> cool. That's great. Well, I guess I, one of the things I'd be interested to talk to you guys about is like, there's a lot of people find evangelism very hard. They find it very scary. They're not engaging with it. I think there's lots of reasons why people don't engage with evangelism. But I'm interested to hear what you think are some of the biggest challenges that we're currently mm -hmm. facing for successful evangelism through the church and, and what we might be able to do about those things. Well, yeah, for me, Ben, I, I think that there are two misconceptions that really ruined or that really made difficult evangelism for many people. One is that people normally don't understand what an evangelist is and what evangelism is. So I know that in some countries, an evangelist is a pastor that didn't study or someone <laughs> that couldn't reach the full potential of an institution. Right. So they become an evangelist. It's almost like a second class, uh, I don't know. But It's a backup plan. Yes, yeah. yes. What is totally wrong? That's not what the Bible says. This is not what God intended and, and people just misunderstood the whole thing. And when they think about evangelism, it's almost like a duty that they have to do as a Christian. But then they do once in a while tick the box and that's it. I did my part. Now God <laughs> sent someone. And I think that is a fruit of a church without vision or people without the right biblical concepts, really understanding of different ministries are but as well is a Christianity that for the first time maybe in the whole history became almost like achievement based for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So they are as close to God as they achieve things. In return, they do things. You know, evangelism is one of these things. I even heard someone saying to me once, man, that, oh, I'm really praying for this miracle. So you know what? I'll go out and try to evangelize today because that will count some points. <laughs> right. Twist God's arm by doing good works. Yeah. Uh, I do see a lot of evangelism happening around the world that, that it, it does a better job of marketing the local church than it does of actually expressing the tenets of the good news in the power of the spirit. And look, I'm not opposed to people um, advertising their churches and, and letting people know that they can come and that it's a safe haven and that they can experience community there. They can meet God there and, and all of those things. Absolutely fantastic. Just don't call that evangelism because because it's not if, if it's not a proclamation of the gospel. Um, and I would say it always needs to involve some kind of verbal activity. I think there can be the verbal without the life thing. I, don't, I wouldn't advise it, but I think it can happen. Um, I don't think it can ever just be from the life and, and not verbalized. If it's going to be true evangelism, I think you can be missional uh, in the broader sense and, and not have a moment of proclamation. You know, the mission of God is, to, is as we've said, rec God reconciling the world back to himself. And one of the ways that we can receive, we can show the reconciling love of God is to go into the world and serve, be a servant. And there'll be many opportunities within serving people that perhaps a, an obvious moment of gospel explanation isn't present, but it's part of the big picture mission. Cool. No problem. Although I would always be encouraging, like, don't miss it. Don't miss the opportunity to explain. Don't miss the opportunity to demonstrate spirit power and then articulate what that spirit power actually is. Don't leave people confused. Don't leave people wondering why you did what you did when you could tell them. Don't leave people wondering what the source of your power is um, when you could actually give articulation to that. But if you're going out and you're you're serving and ultimately there will be a point where you'll give explanation uh, to the gospel that then that then that's evangelism or in the, even in the broad sense of, of mission if it's just going out and and letting people know about your your church it, it's not evangelism because it's not ultimately about an explanation of mm -hmm. a profession and proclamation of the gospel and we need to be clear about that yeah, exactly. and i would actually be saying that If you're working on a on a kind of a big citywide mission and you are your primary concern in the big citywide mission is how many people will come to your church after this mission, I would say stop being involved in the mission for a start <laughs> because your heart's not in the right place and your church probably isn't in the right place if you're the leader and your heart's not in the right place. I know that sounds very harsh, but uh, but I'm serious. I don't think God messes around with this stuff. And and stop being involved in the mission and get yourself right first and then go again and 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 seek first the kingdom of god that's what we seek first mm -hmm. jesus preaching didn't 
talk about um, forgiveness primarily. It didn't talk about love primarily. Uh, it didn't talk about church primarily. What did Jesus preaching primarily talk about? It talked about the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' greatest concern that people would know and understand something of the kingdom that he himself was the physical, physical embodiment of, that he was inaugurating in a new way repent stop running away change direction because the kingdom is at hand something new is happening and that's what our message to the city has to be if we're partnering with other churches it needs to be as churches i'm sure we all need to do a bit of repenting because we're all sinful uh, and as we repent and seek god for revival out of our repentance um, god will heal our land if we repent even though he's going to heal our land if we just carry on as we were he'll heal our land if we repent and then out of a posture of repentance and availability we then go together and say this is not about my domain it's not about my kingdom it's not about my church it's about god's church god's bride god's kingdom and we want to work together and and look it's cool that you want people to come to your place it's cool that you think that you can disciple them well brilliant but we shouldn't be entering into citywide mission for the purpose of marketing our church. We should be entering into citywide mission so that we can seek first the kingdom as the whole body and that God would be glorified through it. That's essential. And yet it's a common mistake. And I understand that pastors are under a lot of pressure. You know what would, would, would fix part of this problem would be fixed by raising up of evangelists in the local church. Mm -hmm. We have two uh, you know, for too long, we've neglected the gift and the role of the evangelist. Predominantly speaking, the only real evangelists that we have these days are itinerant preaching evangelists. And I thank God for them. I am one, essentially. Um, it's good. But but what we actually need is evangelists who are living and breathing life in the local church. They, they, mm -hmm. that, they're in their local town and they're living in their local church and they're doing their thing. Why? Because they are actually going to be one of the watchmen or watchwomen for, for making sure that the temperature of evangelism is right in the church, that the gospel is always kept as the main thing. The pastor isn't starting to think as if of evangelism as church marketing, but the mm -hmm. pastor, with all the pressures that they have, with all the challenges that they have, and we expect far too much from our pastors. We want them to be jack of all trades. We want them to be great at absolutely everything. That's and there's true. probably no harder job in the world than being a pastor. And I'm like, you know why? Because we haven't taken fivefold ministry seriously and we expect the pastor to do it all. But God has appointed that there will be other people that will fulfill various roles that we want the pastor to do. And if the evangelist can grow up in the church once again, be, be raised up in the church, what we'll actually start seeing is when pastors start to think, oh, maybe this mission would be good for growing my church, the evangelist can say, cool i hope people come and i hope we disciple them well when they do but let's not forget that is not what this is about this is about the gospel it's about the kingdom of god and we can rebuke each other when we need to in a loving brotherly way we can challenge each other and of course pastor also needs to confront evangelists when the evangelist is forgetting about the need for discipleship say don't forget brother or sister as you're going out and proclaiming the gospel and stirring the church to proclaim don't forget that we're not just we don't just want people to put their hands up we want them to be discipled we want them to become the church and those two roles together alongside all the other roles they make each other better Mm -hmm. They're not a threat to each other. They make each other better. So many of the challenges I see in evangelism could be fixed if we honored God and allowed his gift of the evangelist to raise up in the church um, afresh and once again. And, and maybe just one one last thing that I'll throw into the mix here is is the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is is a problem for evangelism. I, I said it. There you go. I've said it. There's a can of worms open everywhere. Um <laughs> But, but I'm not trying to be controversial uh, in any way, and certainly not for its own sake. Uh, what I mean is that when we pull the Great Commission out of the context of Scripture and we just plop it in front of people, Christians, and say, right, you're a Christian, you've got to obey the Great Commission because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so we've got to do what he says. And he says, go. In the very next verse, after he's told us that he's got all authority, he says, go and make disciples of the nations. So we've got to go, we've got to do evangelism and make disciples and um, and all of that. And we, we got to, it's got to be a teaching dynamic and we've got to teach people to obey. So it's got to be word-based and discipleship-based and there's baptism's got to be involved because we've got to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit and, and all of this. And it's all good stuff. That's all great and important and, and essential. I could preach about the Great Commission for hours and hours and hours and hours. 
and the wonderful uh, ending of it, and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. Oh, wow, Jesus is with us. He's empowering us by his Holy Spirit because we can't save anybody. Only he can. Wonderful. But within all of that wonderful teaching, we're still ultimately just boiling it down to a command to be obeyed. As Louise said, a duty. I've got to go. And of course, what that does is it makes people nervous. Oh, but going might cost me my job. And then they feel guilty for not doing it. But they also feel pressured uh, about losing their job and or oh, I'm going to lose friendships and all of these difficult questions that evangelism raises. And what I, what I want to say is the Great Commission is perfect in, its, in, in how it's been expressed by Jesus. It's perfect for us as the church, as long as we don't divorce it from its context. And its context is best found, of course, in the whole full spectrum of the word of God. But but even if we want to just pull out one other thing to help us give it a bit more context, let's pull out the greatest commandment. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says the greatest commandment matches up with the, the Shema of God. That hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and, and uh, with your heart, soul, and strength. Love him with everything you've got. Then Jesus comes along. And says, yes, that, that's it. You've got to love God. That's the number one command. Love God. Because He's only there is only one God. Love him with everything you've got. Heart, soul, mind, strength. In other words, there is nothing outside that. You've got to love him with everything. And then you go love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you, if we just put that in front of the Great Commission, we would fix a lot of the problems that we have when we're trying to get our church to obey the Great Commission. Because what we're actually doing is we're saying, the number one reason why we're going to go and make disciples of the nations is because there's one God and he's good and he's perfect. And he is love and he loves you and you can love because he first loved you. And, and I want the world to know his love and his goodness because there is no other hope. There is no other way. He's not the best of, of multiple options. One, one God, love him with everything you have. And because I want to love him because I know how much he loves me, I want to go into the world and let the world know about what his love has done for me and what it can do. And you know what? I want to love my neighbor as I now love myself. When we understand the Great Commission in light of our love for God and crucially as well, in light of our love for our neighbor, there is no better way in this world to love your neighbor than to go and take the gospel in word and deed to a world that will perish without it. But it is God's desire that none should perish. And through the gospel, he's made the way by which none need to. And now he's asked us to be the ambassadors of that very message. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast, The Mission Show, with Albert Canfield and Luis Cardozo. We are so happy that you are here with us. And if you have any doubts, questions, or if you'd like to know more about mission, evangelism, and discipleship, please go to our website, www.cntmission.com. Next week, we will come with a fresh new episode. God bless you. Bye-bye.